Here we are again, friends, in our study of 1 Corinthians. We are here with our Bibles open before us, either through hard copy or using our mobile device. We will begin our study today at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'll begin at verse 25. And my aim today is to finish up the chapter, make, make it all the way through verse 40. Uh, we're still in a chapter, we're still in a section of 1 Corinthians where Paul is uh, addressing issues concerning marriages, concerning um, human sexuality, uh, divorce, um, celibacy. Uh, you'll notice in our section today, he will be talking to the unmarried, perhaps the virgins. He's talking to the widowed. So it's a, it's a mixture of um, conversation uh, evolving around uh, our status in life, uh, particularly in regards to our marital status in life. So uh, this text particularly will show us the importance of context. I know that people just know what they know. We all fall into that category. And sometimes because we just know what we know, uh, we are quick to interpret things, create opinions uh, from uh, the basis of our storehouse of knowledge. But sometimes we don't know some things that we perhaps need to know before we uh, create those opinions or make those interpretations. Uh, context is very important. It's going to be very important to this section uh, that we're looking at today. Let me give you my classic example that highlights the importance of knowing the context of a biblical text. Uh, I like to say to people, I hope that you realize that the Bible twice in the book of Psalms says, there is no God. And you may think that's a very startling statement to come from the Bible, there is no God, but that statement occurs twice in the book of Psalms. But again, the context is very important for a text, because if you were to look at that text in those two Psalms that says there is no God, you would notice the context for that text is this, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's always important to know the context, uh, to know the surrounding verses, to know the discussion that's taking place. And it's also important to know the context of even the historical situation uh, for the people who first received um, the text. And that historical situation uh, is really important for our text this morning. And I'll make that just a little bit clearer uh, as we look at it. So let me begin reading at verse 25 of chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote saying, now concerning the betrothed, or you could just translate that now concerning the virgins. The word virgin almost all the time, except for one occurrence in the New Testament, refers to female virgins. So we're probably talking specifically about female virgins. Uh, the ESV translation that's in front of me you just uses the word betrothed or the engaged, but it could really be broader than that. The word virgin in the New Testament, parthenos, parthenoi, in the Greek, uh, almost always applies to a female, and it means a young female of marriageable age that could bear children. 
So uh, we're, we're really talking about that category right now. Now concerning the virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but Paul says, I give my judgment. I give my opinion as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. So he, he, he doesn't have a word from Jesus, something that would come from the oral traditions of what Jesus said, the, those traditions that eventually got written down into what we know the Gospels to be. So evidently, Paul doesn't know anything directly from Jesus impinging upon this issue uh, as to whether um, female virgins of marriageable age should marry or not. That's the, that's the context here. Uh, he doesn't have a direct word from Jesus, but he's going to offer his opinion. You know, we're in a culture today where opinions are all over the place. We're more swamped with opinions today than we ever have been in human history because of the advent of social media, because of the advent of a 24-7 news cycle and news programming. Uh, we need to be very careful. And remember that all opinions are not created equal. And just because one particular opinion happens to get to a microphone or happens to get uh, on the Internet or happens to even garner a, a, a great audience, that doesn't mean it's an opinion worth, worth listening to. Sometimes people's opinions, uh, though sincere, may be sincerely wrong. They may just be the sharing of ignorance, which is why here in verse 25, Paul says, I'm, I'm going to give you my opinion as one by the Lord's mercy, as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think what he's saying there is by God's mercy, he has been chosen as an apostle. And because of God's mercy in choosing him as, a, as an apostle, uh, as a spokesperson for God, his judgment or his opinion is trustworthy. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not equal to all other opinions you may hear about this situation. So he is going to offer an opinion as to whether virgins need to change their status, because he's been talking quite a bit about um, being faithful, being a faithful Christian, uh, just as you are. And there may be also, we're going to get into this, there may be also something going on in, in Corinth, the city of Corinth, that is causing some of the Christian community there to even tell people to not marry uh, because of some specific context because of some specific circumstances. And we'll talk about that because I think that is, uh, to a large extent, what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 7. So Paul's going to offer an opinion about whether or not virgins could go ahead and marry. Evidently, there are people there in Corinth saying no to that uh, for, for different reasons. Uh, but Paul's going to offer an opinion. In verse 26, you begin to hear his opinion. I think that in view of the present distress. It is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, you should ask, what is the present distress? Uh, that is um, the impetus for Paul giving this opinion. Uh, you, if you look at your translation of the New Testament, uh, there's probably a little study note, a little footnote, um, a little number taking you to the bottom of the page beside the word present uh, that points out to you that that word in the Greek can also be, be translated impending. 
because of the impending distress. So it's something that is either present, as Paul is writing, or something that's about to happen. And Paul says, in view of the present or impending distress, it is good for a person to remain as he or she is. Uh, And in regards to a virgin, stay unmarried, stay celibate. So in order to understand what Paul's saying here, you need to think a little bit about what the present or impending distress is. Uh, There have been a few options offered uh, throughout our history as we've dealt with this text. Uh, Some people think, and this is usually the the go-to interpretation, that he's talking about the return of Christ, the tribulation, the suffering that precedes the return of Christ. Because in some places in the New Testament, in Paul's writings, it looks as if he believes the return of Christ to be very, very imminent. It's about to happen. It may happen this week. And that causes him to say certain things and to say certain things in certain ways. Um, He is going to talk about that perhaps a little bit later in this text. uh, But that may not necessarily be what he's talking about here. uh, When he says, in view of the present distress or impending distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Uh, Another option would be um, the persecution of Christians that uh, he sees beginning and that he's smart enough to know that will probably increase. And of course, that is exactly what happens in the middle part of the first century. And um, within about 15 years of Paul writing this letter, even he, Paul, would uh, die a martyr's death. Uh, because of his faith in Christ, as would Peter and uh, many others in the early Christian community, particularly around the city of Rome. So the present or impending distress may be the increase of persecution. There's another option, and I, I really like this option, and maybe the historian in me. We know from various other documents that in the year 51 A.D., which is about exactly the time Paul is writing this letter uh, back to the church at Corinth, that there was um, a great famine. There was a great shortage of grain, which uh, was the, the mainstay of people's diets in the first world, uh, first century world. So there in Corinth, they could be living in the midst of a famine. Uh, People could literally be starving. They don't have enough food to feed the mouths that they have. That might be the present distress Paul is talking about. Uh, We know it was happening. We know it was happening. Paul obviously knew it was happening because it was worldwide news, Roman Empire news, in in the year 5052. So there could be even that going on, a major famine. And again, that would... That would make Paul say, for the time being right now under these circumstances, I prefer you not marry. Uh, During this recent pandemic, I've seen a lot of people delay their marriages uh, to a time when they could um, celebrate their nuptials in the way that they had always wanted to celebrate their wedding. I've seen people delay their marriage. I've seen people delay marriage, wedding, for a lot of different reasons throughout my, my ministry. Um, there are reasons sometimes to delay getting married. Um, and that may be what, all, all thing Paul's saying here. There's a present distress. Now is not the time uh, to get married. So uh, we need to be careful 
and not be do, too dogmatic when Paul is not being too clear. Uh, he's not defining the present distress because obviously the church at Corinth knew exactly what he was talking about. Uh, we don't. So it could be several things, but he's saying in light of what's going on right now, it is not a good, it is not a convenient time uh, to get married. And he's going to say some more about this as he goes on. So look at verse 27 as we continue on this theme. Paul says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, he's giving you permission, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman, a virgin, marries... She has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So again, he's saying, his preference is you don't marry right now, but he's saying if you do marry, you're, you're not doing something sinful. He would prefer you not marry now because you may be taking on additional troubles in your life. Uh, one thing that you need to understand about the Christian faith, and particularly as we're making our way through a pandemic, because I... I run across people talking like this frequently. Faith, faith and fear are opposites and contradictory. But faith and being practical and being prudent is not. Uh, hopefully, as we've read the Bible, we've read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs encourages us to be wise, prudent, smart, practical, uh, to plan for the future. So just because you do those sort of things, that doesn't mean you're living by fear. Uh, because I have life insurance doesn't mean I'm living by fear and I'm not living by faith. You know, because I wear a seatbelt, that doesn't mean I'm living by fear. Because I try to not drive above the speed limit, that doesn't mean I'm living by fear. Um, you know, it, it's not Christian to drive recklessly and then say you're not living by fear, you're living by faith, and you're praying to God to protect you as you drive recklessly. Um, being prudent and being practical is not opposed to the Christian faith and to walking by faith. Uh, you know, wearing a mask in a pandemic, uh, washing our hands frequently, uh, avoiding large gatherings where people are not wearing masks or not socially distancing. That's not living by fear. That's just simply being prudent. Paul here is saying, this may not be the time to marry. Uh, you won't sin if you do. It's not a bad thing, but it's not a good time. It's not a prudent time. It's not a practical time. For whatever the reason is concerning the present distress, he's just talking about this situation, this moment. He's not saying something that is for all people for all times. Uh, this chapter in 1 Corinthians is what has led some people in Christian history to say that Paul was opposed to marriage. He's not. He's made it clear here that marriage is to be the norm. But not everybody's called to marry, and not all times are equally good, appropriate, practical times to get married. Uh, some people think if they marry, that solves all their problems. Um, that's not true. Uh, as Paul was saying here, if you marry, you may take on some additional worldly troubles. You take on some additional concerns. Um, some people think if they, and I've heard this, that maybe their marriage will be better, things will improve if they have a child. Well, that's certainly not true. Uh, we Christians need to be prudent, need to be practical, need to have the mind of Christ. 
need to think as wise people, need to be, um, as in, to quote Jesus, as innocent as doves, but as um, uh, cunning as a serpent. He has sent us out in the world to live this way. So Paul's giving some advice here. And he's saying to these people at this time, because of the present distress, it's not a good time to, be, to marry. So for me, what he's saying here is not so much um, some teaching about marriage that needs to be absolutized and universal. He's, he's teaching us something about being practical and wise. And knowing the age in which we're in, knowing the, the situation, um, and, and acting accordingly. Uh, the people of Jesus, because we have the mind of Christ offered to us, we should be very wise. Uh, we should be bold and wise. So he's saying to them, don't marry, because uh, it may just at this point bring you additional troubles. Sometimes when I do pre-marriage counseling... And I look at the particular situation. Uh, this is the advice I give to people um, because of their status in life, because of their situation. Sometimes one of them may be an alcoholic. One of them may be involved in drug abuse. The list goes on. And, and I say to them, this is not the time to marry. Because if you marry at this point, you're going to be adding additional troubles to your life, to quote St. Paul here. So he's teaching us something about prudence here. And this is going to have bearing on everything he says here. Look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The appointed time has grown very short. Now, again, it could be the appointed time before the return of Christ, which means an age of great tribulation and suffering. Or it could be the appointed time before greater persecution breaks out. Or it could be the appointed time before the end of a famine. So Paul has his reasons here why he's saying the appointed time has grown very short. Don't be too dogmatic in making sure you know exactly what Paul's talking about here as far as the circumstances of the Corinthian church. They obviously knew what the circumstances were. We have to work with history to figure out what the circumstances are. Uh, so continuing in verse 29, From now on, let those who have wives live as those that live as though they had none, and those who mourn as those as they who were not mourning, as those who rejoice as they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as those they had no good as those as they who had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Paul is just saying we need to be focused. We need to be focused on the, the matter at hand. We need to be focused on the particular calling that God in Christ is, is laying on our lives right now in these moments, in this season. Uh, sometimes we need to delay gratification. Sometimes we need to uh, put off to a little further into the future, uh, dealing with some things in our life. Uh, whatever's going on here, he's saying that uh, this is not the time to make the drastic changes. This is not the time uh, to deal with, with some of uh, what the world is throwing at you. Just sometimes the best you can do in a storm is just um, lower your head and pray and let the storm pass. Uh, when you're in the midst of a storm, that's usually not a good time to make decisions. And by the way, I'd add it's usually not a good time to theologize. Uh, we don't do our best Christian thinking when we're in the midst of a storm. Sometimes we just have to get through what we have to get through 
and um, take one day at a time and, uh, and be careful about uh, thinking or doing something that is more tied to this age, and particularly the age in which we're living through, than, than what Christ would have us do. He does say, for the present form of this world is passing away. And again, he may be talking about something very specific that they're encountering or about to encounter in Corinth, or even if he's just talking about this age. Uh, the age between the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ. We need to be careful and realize that this age is passing away. I've seen people, particularly in recent months, get so agitated, energized um, over current events and current affairs and the election and who should win and who shouldn't win. And I'm not saying those are not important issues, but I'm saying that we are citizens of another world we need to understand that some of the things that we're fighting so hard to maintain in this world, in this age, are, to quote Paul here, they're passing away. Uh, for the present form of this world is passing away. All the systems of this world, the kingdoms of this world, the governments of this world um, will pass away. Everything in this world is transitory. So we don't want to make these transitory temporary things cause us as followers of Christ to do things that do not display the mind of Christ. Uh, we are focused on something else. Paul here is strongly encouraging the church at Corinth to not be distracted, to focus and keep the main thing the main thing. Okay, let's continue on. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman, the virgin, is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you or guilt upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now again, you have to understand the context here. Um, if you look at this and absolutize this, make it a universal truth, then um, you know not only would clergy... Uh, never marry because they are focusing on the things of the Lord. But Christians would never marry because they're focusing on the things of the Lord. And of course, there have been points in Christian history where we've told our clergy, do not marry because it will give you divided loyalties. You'll have to pay attention to family and those sort of things. But of course, uh, in the Protestant Reformation, uh, we felt strongly led to say that our, our clergy, our church leaders could marry. So obviously, while we, we know what Paul's saying here, uh, that the more we complicate our lives, the more we will have divided loyalties. That's a reality. All of us need to probably um, declutter our lives some to keep us from being so distracted uh, by all of the um, stuff and uh, events that we have in our life. I, I understand. We understand exactly what Paul's saying here. But again, context is important. Paul has already said several times, marriage is good. Marriage is normative. But, um, you know, you may not be called to marry. Um, when you marry, you do have to be careful about divided loyalties. 
I always in pre-marriage, premarital counseling tell couples that when you marry, your relationship to God is still primary. Then your relationship to each other, husband and wife, are secondary. Then your relationship to children is tertiary, comes in third, and then go on from that. Um, But we have to keep married or single our focus on Christ as primary. If we want to be a good husband and wife, we have to focus our relationship to Christ. If we want to be good parents, we have to focus on our relationship to Christ and focus on our marriage. The best thing we can give to our children is not a child-centered marriage where the children's life and the children's schedule determines everything. The best thing we can give to our children is uh, help them come up in a home with a strong marriage so that they can see how it's done, so they can carry those skills with them as they go into adulthood and, and seek to create relationships. And in order to have that strong marriage from mom and dad, they have to keep their focus on uh, being faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying here is exactly true. We have to be careful about our divided loyalties. I remember when I was teaching at at a university, some of the students uh, would get so involved in some activities. Uh, I won't name any of them, but some good activities. Some students would get involved in great activities. They would get so involved in those great activities, uh, their academic work would suffer. And I'd have to have a conversation with them that all of the good things that you're doing um, in your life right now, I commend you for, but you are here at this university to get an education. That should be your focus. It is easy to fill our lives with so many good things that we, we we create divided hearts. We don't have undivided hearts. And uh, that's important. Our focus, our primary love, our first love needs to be God through Jesus Christ. And everything else flows from that. Now, if you can't marry and do that, if you can't have children and do that, then you need to follow Paul's advice here. Don't marry. Don't create a family. Uh, Because what is of preeminence here to Paul and should be to all of us is, as he says in verse 35, undivided devotion to the Lord. Uh, Let's go on. Verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed or toward the virgins, uh, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Again, context is important. This is one of the hardest verses in the New Testament Greek to translate into English. Um, You can look at different translations and see how it's done. Uh, You have to remember the context here. Paul, at this point, could be speaking not to people who are considering marriage, but to fathers of virgins. Because in the ancient world, most marriages were arranged. That's not our experience, that's not on our radar, and we don't think about that. But throughout most of human history, marriages have been arranged. 
uh, because they need to be entered into wisely and soberly uh, with great solemnity, um, not just in the heat of the moment. So throughout most of history, throughout most of human history, marriages have been arranged. So he may be talking to fathers here who um, were trying to decide whether or not to arrange uh, the marriage of their daughters. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, toward the virgins, toward his virgin daughters, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. So he could be talking about let let the, the, the man and the woman marry, the boy and the girl. Uh, usually in the first century, um, in the Jewish first century, is a little different in the Greco-Roman world. In the Jewish world, men would marry by the time they were about 20. In the Greco-Roman world, the age was later. Uh, women oftentimes in the um, Jewish world would be married some point between age 13 and 16. So, uh, you know, maybe the Christian community there is wondering, should they delay marriage? And again, Paul's given the same advice that he's already given. If you can control your passions, don't be in a hurry to marry. Uh, but if you can't do that, uh, go ahead and let them marry. It is no sin. Paul is pro-marriage. Um, and Paul sees marriage as the norm. But Paul also sees a calling to celibacy, singleness, as, as a great gift also. Verse 37. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having the desire under control, and has determined that in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he would do well. You, you can keep her and just keep your passions under control and, and wait for the marriage. Just continue in this engaged or betrothed state. Verse 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Oftentimes our choices in life are between the good and the better choices. And you have to have some wisdom. And in the Bible, wisdom is, is very clear. It's something that comes because of our relationship, not to the news media, but our relationship to God. The, beginning of, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says uh, frequently in the book of Proverbs and occasionally the book of Psalms. So it's that uh, standing before God, that appropriate standing before God in relationship to God is the beginning of wisdom. And sometimes we have to make decisions in light of what's going on. Verse 39, a wife, and here he's beginning to talk to widows, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies... She is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. I, I would remind you earlier in chapter 7, Paul says, uh, if an unbelieving spouse leaves, you can let them leave. And um, most of us think at that point he's even saying that separation is certainly a possibility and maybe divorce is even a possibility and maybe even remarriage is a possibility if an unbelieving spouse leaves. Um, but otherwise, uh, the only other reason for deserting a marriage is uh, what Jesus says, and Paul referenced that earlier in this chapter, um, your, your spouse being involved in sexual immorality or adultery. Uh, notice he says here, though, if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Death certainly uh, will... Um, break the bond of marriage. Um, but he, notice he says here, only in the Lord. Two things here. Death does break the bond of marriage. I did have a couple one time 
Because I've always told couples, I may let them write their vows. I may let them use their vows in addition to the traditional vows. But if we're using just something besides the traditional vows, which I'm very hesitant to do, uh, the vows that they bring me have to be as binding as, as the traditional vows. Uh, one of the things I had happen one time is someone, a couple, wanted to play with the vows and I gave them that speech that I just gave you. Um, then they told me what they wanted to do was to get rid of that till death do us part piece. And I said, I'm willing to do that as long as you understand that you're saying that even death will not sever the, the bond of marriage. That even with death, you're not free to remarry. Uh, the Christian community has always said when, when a death occurs... Uh, you are free to be meet, to remarry. Uh, you're going to see Paul's going to say in the concluding verse, he's not sure it's always a wise thing to do, but you certainly are free to marry. And he says in verse 39, only in the Lord. In other words, you're only free to marry ever as a widow or as a Christian, someone who el- someone who's a believer. When people come to me for premarital counseling, my first um, concern is, are they Christian? If they aren't Christian, I don't know why they're involving me and the church in the wedding. Um, sometimes then I, I feel a stronger sense that one has, is a professing Christian than the other. So then my, my focus becomes trying to understand if, if both are Christian. Because if one is a believer and the other is not a believer, uh, I would agree with Paul here. Um, don't enter into that marriage. Uh, you're, you're, you're adding a lot of trouble to yourself. You're adding a lot of anxiety to yourself if you enter into a marriage with an unbeliever. It's just not wise. So, um, you know, to quote um, Barney Fife, sometimes you just nip it in the bud. Um, you know, we, we can be prudent and wise and practical, even if we can, to quote the modern age, fall in love. Uh, we still have some control of our decisions and our actions. Uh, We're called, Paul is calling us here to to be wise. We conclude with verse 40. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. He's talking about widows here. Uh, So he's saying that his opinion, and his is an inspired opinion, it may be better for you to to remain uh, single uh, if your spouse dies. And I've had... um, I've had, I've had widows tell me both, and both are options. Some widows uh, knew that they would never remarry, and it was not something they, they sought. Uh, some widows remarried and found great happiness, and, and God can bless both of those. If you exercise the mind of Christ, Christ and wisdom and prudence and uh, enter into that marriage. So he says, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is widowed. And then he concludes by saying, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. So again, Paul understands his opinions um, are not just like everybody else's opinions. Uh, He is speaking as an apostle of Jesus Christ, someone sent by Jesus Christ. Um, into the world to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ. So he's telling you, and I don't think it's arrogance, he's, he's, this, this, he's doing it in humility, but he's telling you because he knows his calling, he knows his God's given, God-given place in, in the earth, he's telling you he thinks you should listen to him because he thinks he's being obedient to the Spirit. 
Uh, thank you for letting me go a little long this day. Uh, this brings us to the end of chapter 7. Uh, so we'll start back up at chapter 8. We're getting ready to head into the Christmas week. Uh, so uh, I probably won't do a podcast next week because um, even though it's a, t- a COVID Christmas, uh, I'm assuming most of you will be busy and focused on Christmas. And uh, you probably don't want to dig into First Corinthians chapter 8 next week. And as you're celebrating Christmas, uh, be listening to Paul tell us what kind of meat we should eat and what kind of meat we shouldn't eat. So when we, when we start back, probably the week after uh, Christmas, or after the New Year, the, after the holidays, after the 12 days of Christmas, we'll start back, and we will start with chapter 8, verse 1. So this may give you a chance to go back and listen to some previous podcasts and, and sort of continue to, to um, process 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7, and then we will uh, begin back again at uh, 8-1 when we resume. God bless all of you. Thank you for sharing this time.